you've got all the sound design from the games. So it's like... And it sounds like awesome because it's huge and blah, blah, blah. But as a professional, it's not very interesting because you know that the sound... When actually you make a sound of something different than it's used to be, that makes it so much clever. Hi, welcome to Created for Creatives, the podcast where creatives talk about creative. And in this final episode of Series 1, you'll hear two conversations that dissect music and its use in branding and advertising. First up, Joel Simon, CEO of JSM Music, with host Tom Amundsen. Joel had dreams of attending law school, but those plans were waylaid by another passion, music. I didn't end up going to law school because I was really looking forward to making arguments. So I didn't want to go to college at all. And my father said, well, if you don't want to go to college, then you have to you know, move out, get a job, and we'll see you on the holidays. And I had record company interest in my band. We had won the New York State Battle of the Bands. And I thought that was going to be a thing. But I didn't want to live in a van down by the river. So I opted to go to school and still had bands throughout college. Wrote songs, never let it go, but it was just going to be a hobby. So I applied to law schools, got into uh, NYU in Columbia, which was pretty exciting. And a friend of mine who was representing a guy who wrote music for themes for game shows, he wrote all the themes, Price is Right, Match Game. So I reached out to him, and I learned what the business was about. I learned about composition, music to film, royalties, residuals, all that kind of thing. And it was very, very interesting to me. And then I segued into the commercial space. I had done a lot of infomercials. I was one of the first ones that realized that an infomercial was in fact a syndicated television show, not unlike Oprah or Wheel of Fortune. And in working with Ed Kalhoff, I would see his BMI statements and I would say like he got paid for X amount of dollars for X amount of airings. And I see these infomercials on all the time way more times than 48 hours, which he had, done the, he had done music for in these game shows. I'm like, wow, I mean, this is a 30-minute television show. So I actually came to Vegas and was the only music guy here at the infomercial conventions. Walked around with a little briefcase, cassettes, to show them my stuff. And I would walk up to the booth and say, who does your music? So they're like, well, we just use stock music. I said, what do you pay for that? They said, we'll pay $2,500. I said, for 30 minutes of music? He goes, yeah. I said, okay, I tell you what. Why don't you give me the $2,500 and I'll score your show. And I'll cut you into the publishing. Did they even know what the publishing was about? They had no clue. They were leaving so much money on the table. And music-wise, they were not great productions, but they were selling product big time. So fast forward, I ended up locking up every marketing company to be their music partner. When I really got involved with ads, I started to love the business on another level. Do you remember the first ad, like 30-second ad you did? Well, yeah. The first one I did was for Clorox. We still do Clorox. When I was doing Clorox originally, it's full circle, really, because I was doing like four or nine spray cleaner puts grease on the run. Mama's got the magic of Clorox. I mean, it was really sort of fun, light. They were jingles. I considered them little songs. Let's talk about that bit, jingles, because yeah. from jingles to you know, licensing famous music to now everyone's doing sonic branding or an audio mnemonic logo. What kind of drives these shifts and trends? I'm a firm believer that more people listen to TV than watch it. And I think with technology and just having something truly ownable, 
is very, very important to certain types of brands. Not every brand, but big brands that have a lot of reach in a lot of different mediums. We do all of MasterCard. And the TV application of the mnemonics and how we weave through that melody, that very succinct melody. You know, if you listen to like one spot, two spot, three spot, you'll start to get it, but it's a reinterpretation. Still the same notes, but the music is supporting that and creating a unique piece utilizing the same melody. It's almost like a theme would be for a Exactly right. It's going back to the TV themes that I used to do. It's something that weaves through, but it's still specific to the creative at hand. Overall, it's the melody, and I think a lot of the CMOs out there and their consumer base respond to it. Speaking of melody and ownable, in the show this year, was there any audio logo that popped its head up? And if it did, did it do it properly or not? In what I was judging, not really. I mean, to be completely honest. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that in the other categories, because I've, I've judged every category under the sun at pretty much every show under the sun. You know, so this is my first time doing radio and podcast and audio. I didn't really get any of that. Well, there was one in particular that I think we all sort of got tired of hearing. Yes. Quite famous, the McDonald's melody, done with doorbells to support delivery service, I think. Yeah. So it's a famous melody. We all knew it. We all understood what the purpose of it was, but it didn't make it through into the final round. I think that's, and I'm speaking out of turn here a bit because we haven't had the discussion yet, but I think it's because what they did with it has been done to death. Yeah. It's a good lesson for people entering this show. Do some research on what you're entering. Make sure that it hasn't been done to death or done at all, preferably. 100%. There was nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't award-worthy. There was nothing wrong with it. The idea of the message that they were trying to get across as far as them delivering, so you have all the things that would maybe get you off the couch, you know, the footsteps, doorbell, like we're here now. The idea is okay, but when you judge these things, it also has to do with the execution. I hate to talk down work. I'd rather not say anything negative about work. I'd rather talk up work. If there's something that I don't like, I just say, no, it didn't resonate with me. But the production seemed very, very remedial. Yeah. You know, just to snap on a doorbell sound and just say, hey, we deliver. And there was just relying on that melody, as you said, that we all know. But there were better production opportunities there than what we listened to. Yeah, I didn't really hear a lot of specific sonic branding or audio identity in anything in the show. In fact, no, a lot of it was script. You know, a lot of it was the writing. Yeah. I also didn't hear a lot of ads. I heard a lot of audio, a lot of content, yeah. but not a lot of good old-fashioned 30-second, 15-second ads. One of my favorite ones was for Staples. It was smart. It utilized a licensed song. When the gag shows up the first time, I laughed. It's hard for me to laugh a lot. It's got to be really funny or really smart, and then, then I'm in. Even the announcer, the casting on that, the voice of the guy who interrupts, it just reminded me of like the old Cliff Freeman stuff, which was just genius. And, and when you say there were no ads, that to me was a perfect execution of how can you do something with the use of music and make it an effective ad and have it be truly meaningful to the brand. And they did it. It wasn't trying to be overthought. It wasn't trying to be you know, too full of itself. It was an ad and it was funny and it worked. Very well done. Were you seeing any key subjects or trends poking their head up in this year's show? Yeah, I mean, over the past few years in the shows, like five years, I would say, you know, the social causes. And sometimes I feel the case studies are becoming more and more polished and thought out. And sometimes I feel the more that they put into the case studies, perhaps maybe the less of an idea they have. So they have to make the case study 
the reason why you vote for it as opposed to what the consumer is going to take in. Yeah. A great case study for a great idea is a win-win. A great case study for a bad idea is not. It's money not spent well. It's money not spent well. It's agencies maybe st- stretching a little bit too much. You know, we don't have time to really uh, discover or analyze if the technology that, that they have behind this idea is actually real. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it could be interesting, but who knows? But at the end of the day, does it matter? Like, does it matter to the consumer? Does it matter to the person walking down the street? Exactly. So we're kind of coming out of the pandemic at this point, and I know you and I have felt the brands sort of fearful of sounding tone deaf, weren't saying a lot. Do you feel that brands are starting to step up again, starting to refocus? What do you mean say a lot? Say a lot and... They just decided to be, you know, during these uncertain times. Right, the sad piano. Well, in working with so many different agencies in so many different categories, everybody was obviously yearning to go out and just create it, but it was impossible to do. I mean, you couldn't advertise certain products and services. I do embrace the creativity of the agencies and the creatives within them to pivot when this all took place. Like we were doing Burger King. It was a great idea. They shot the film. We did the music. The pandemic happened. And the entire spot was irrelevant at this point. So they rewrote everything. The music changed a bit. And it all had to do with being responsible and staying home. And if you ordered in Burger King or whatever the case may be, they would donate it to organizations that needed the help. What impressed me a lot about the agencies and the creatives within it had to do with the fact that they could repurpose materials that were going to air in a certain capacity with a certain message and then utilize those materials and change the message and make it relevant. To be part of that and to figure out, like, what the hell are we going to do? You know, we're all working from home. We've got to figure this out. Can't shoot anything. Can't have in-house sessions. Can't do anything. So you utilize assets that already exist and you make it happen. You know, we did ads on Zoom calls. For Microsoft, we probably did 20 ads during the first three months of this thing, all based on Microsoft Teams. So that was the product. But then the messaging within the Teams, which you could record it right on your computer, was all about getting through this and how do we do it. We had some of that in uh, Canada with the Bell. It looks like a Zoom call. The boss is the top frame and all the staff are below. And while he's speaking, he keeps cutting out and cutting out and cutting out. He's unaware, of course, that he's cutting out. And the staff is starting to look a little confused. <laughs> and at the end, he said, okay, so we all clear then? Oh, that's and fine. And of course, the message comes on with high-speed internet from Bell. You wouldn't have this problem. Storytelling. Did you find any great storytelling yeah, within the entries yeah. this year? The two minutes for the uh, World War oh, II, yes. for the Holocaust survivors. They take two minutes every year in remembrance. And as time goes on, younger generations don't really understand, like, why are we doing this? We know about the Holocaust, but let's move on, they think. And the, f- the way that they made those two minutes meaningful so they can understand what actually went on then and why that should never happen again is they had two-minute stories of actual survivors telling what happened to them just for two minutes. And those two minutes felt like an hour. Seriously impactful, yeah. Yeah, and it was done beautifully. The way that they applied it, it didn't overreach. It was just a way to show younger generations that, listen, it's, you know, time moves on. But let's never forget this. We always leave a little bit of time at the end. Is there anything you want to discuss about our industry, your craft, anything that we haven't really covered? I've been doing this a long time. It's still an amazing business. I've learned that there are certain things and projects that we get that I'm, I'm very suited for to run the whole thing. 
And there are others, you know, that's why you have a company, that's why I have a company, and we delegate and we oversee. I enjoy watching the trends, the technological advances that have happened, and how we create the work, and the products that we're actually advertising, the, the music that we're putting behind these ideas, and this whole metaverse thing was pretty fascinating. And I appreciate creativity, and I appreciate production. When you judge these things, if it's just, let's say it's a script, you know, we're judging copywriting. The production is equally as important. It's the whole thing. Like when we finish a track, you know, everybody asks outside of the business, like, how do you know when it's done? But you know that you've pushed it as far as it can go. And then we just say, print it, done, ship it to the client, and let's go. That was Tom Abenson and Joel Simon, the CEO of JSM Music. And now come with me as we make a short trip across the Atlantic to join Maureen Kramer, a music supervisor at DDB Paris. That's all smoke and mirrors, of course, because we're currently in Las Vegas. From a very young age, Maureen would go to the cinema with her mother. I asked her if she felt it informed her path and current work today. Yeah, how do you know that? <laughs> I do lots of stalking before these interviews. <laughs> <laughs> My mother brought me to the cinema when I was three years old, and I've seen a lot of kind of movies that I wasn't supposed to see. And I remember it was like in the small Parisian cinema. So I guess I developed something about image and music, because we were not listening music at home. It's great to uh, find a job that follows your passion. Yeah, uh, but actually it was a surprise. I didn't know that you could do that in advertising, actually. And get paid for it. And receive music every day. So your category is music and sound design. In music, there's a lot of changing trends. Originally, it was you know, advertising started with the jingle, and it was very direct, very literal, sing the brand name, singing a strap line. And then the trend was very much using licensed music that, you know, particularly in, out of the UK with Levi's breaking new artists and, and tracks. And uh, now there seems to be a demand for sonic branding, uh, which I understand is also in your category. What do you think is driving the trend in that area? We don't have the same storytelling in advertising that we used to have. And that's why we had this need to have those kind of existing track with some kind of emotions and things like that, emotive. And maybe we are going, and the client is going more straight to the point. I also wonder whether it's because the brand is existing in so many different places now, and they want a way to unite their brand. And sometimes those places aren't visual, like on a smart speaker or in a podcast or streaming. So the brand wants to have an iconic sound in the way they also have an iconic visual logo or, or an asset that makes them identifiable in some of those other places. 10 or 15 years ago, what we call in France uh, a jingle, I mean, it was really uh, awful. I mean, when you ask to a French person to sing an old jingle, it would have been like... Uh, Les machines durent plus longtemps avec Algon. It was really the singing thing, and that was the jingle. So in France, the audio branding, like you can have with PlayStation, with BMW, or stuff like that. The only brand I really remember, enfin, one of the brands is like Bouygues Telecom. And so they have a um, jingle which makes something like tu, 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 tu. And it was inspired by a movie made by uh, Steven Spielberg, Rencontre du Troisième Type. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. 
Ah, oh, so you're amazing. Oh, yeah, that's the only French phrase I ever know. <laughs> Any work this year that's particularly stood out for you? Let's start with music and then any sound design. Actually, the real good surprise wasn't from the licensed track, the existing track as it is, but the adapted track. I mean, there were some really, really, really interesting things which has been done. And what is make it so interesting, it's because they did those adaptations not because a lack of money, because you know they're not they were not paying only publishing rights and not the master, but for a real purpose, it's a son and a mother having a conversation around the table, and the the son say, "What would you like for Christmas?" And she start by, "I wish you will go out without me knowing." On the background, you have uh, the instrumental version, but adapted for this bunch of a track. It's really powerful, and she's saying how she would have been happy that she had a girlfriend and having parties with friends. And it's very sensitive and emotive and it's beautiful. How have they reimagined the original song? It's very intimate. And when you think about the fact that it's a bunch of track drums and yeah. electric guitars, and uh, it's really simple. It's just acoustic piano. And at the end, they have this clever idea. So you have some other voiceover. And at the end, you have uh, the son who sings the lyrics of the Bunjari track. And it's interesting, the trend of adapting existing tracks, reimagining them. Burberry did it to great success, and John Lewis. And you get the benefit of the familiarity with the track, mm. but it's still ownable because you're reimagining it, yeah. and immediately you're connected. Do you have a different criteria when you're judging a piece of work that has an existing piece of music, like either existing, they've used the exact mechanical version, and a, an adapted track that's still familiar. Do you have a different criteria when you're judging that versus an original piece of music? Yes, obviously. I think I'll be tough with existing track. I mean, if it's not used in a good way, and I know how much it costs to use an existing track, I know um, how difficult it can be to get some tracks, actually, to have all the rights or, or to convince a client to buy it. And when it's used because it has some kind of fame, I think I'm really tough on this category. Actually, for some original tracks, we've had some many great stuff. And some of the stuff was really, really funny. There's one, the McDonald's ad uh, for Who's Gonna Steal uh, My Fries? Uh, it's a really cool one. So an original track for McDonald's about stealing fries. Yeah. Well, I mean, you get that as a brief and you go, oh, no, this is going to be terrible. But if they've done a great job. That's Very well executed. And the degree of difficulty for selling a product like McDonald's versus a cause-related public service thing is obviously much, much harder. So to have some music that's compelling is great. Yeah. For all the audio nerds and sound designers that are listening, including me, what are some of the great examples of sound design that you're hearing in the show this year? It's like existing track. I'm really tough about this category. And I just have to say that we're having an amazing jury. And really, each member of this jury are incredible. They're all very talented and we all have an high expectation of what we're judging. The president of my jury is Sam Ashwell from 750, which is the most amazing sound design company in the world. I mean, he's doing all the Burberry ads 
And because we have this inside studio at DDB, I'm working a lot at sound design, and I know how it can be difficult. Let's say, for instance, an ad for Ubisoft, they've got all the sound design from the games. So it's like... And it sounds like awesome because it's huge and blah, blah, blah. But as a professional, it's not very interesting because you know that the sound... But when actually you make a sound of something different than it's used to be, that make it so much clever. It's not because you are looking at somebody who's walking in the streets that you need to have... That's right, look back. I mean, doing something different, doing something better. I mean, actually, the best sound is no sound. Exactly, restraint or the lack of sound is actually where you draw the consumer and, and you give them room to participate. Are there any examples of any surprising sound design from this year's show? Yeah, there's a good one. And why it's good, it's because you don't hear anything close to a car. It's an electric car. You have all the metaphor in the sound, which makes it brilliant. It's for Kia. Ah, great. Okay, yeah. well, I look forward to hearing it yeah. and seeing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting one because you don't hear an engine. There were some other ads, like for Porsche. The mix is absolutely brilliant. And then the <laughs> but when you think about where this sound's coming from, I mean, is it the Porsche who gave it to them? Did they go to a circuit to record the sound? So does it make it something interesting or not? Are you creating a sound or are you taking a sound? That's completely a different way to, different angle to see it. Is the experience judging at Leah any different from some of the other shows you judge at? I think there is the LIM, I think there's the Clio, I think there's Cannes, I think there's DAD. And when you are judged in all those festivals, there's a high expectation and what you have is some amazing stuff. So it's kind of same everywhere. But I have to say it's something quite interesting for me here, maybe because it's in the United States and not be like a jury in Cannes in France, mm-hmm. where um, I belong in a way. <laughs> uh, make it maybe more neutral. But I think to all my jury, it's, I'm really happy with the people with who I'm working right now. I've never met in the same room 10 people that brilliant and uh, so humble. There's a theme, because I've asked this question of a few people, and they've all said something about it feels more neutral. There's less politics. Yeah, exactly. Like in Cannes, you can you know that at one point it's a, oh, uh, it's somebody coming in the room. and <laughs> But it's all the prize is same. Enfin, we have, especially in Paris, enfin, in Paris, in France, it's called uh, Le Club des Adères. It's something that you know that uh, this agency will always have something. And, uh, that's a part of the game. Huh? It's, uh, I think it's kind of the same everywhere. I wonder if the fact that we're in Las Vegas, where no one really in the advertising industry would go to unless they were coming here for Completely. this. Completely, that's true. And it feels weird for everyone, yeah. as opposed to Cannes, which is familiar for some. And Yeah, you're in London, so you're in the middle of everything. Yeah, here you are in the middle of entertainment. You're wondering if you're going to see tonight Katy Perry or Tom Jones. It's a neutral environment. We're all on this sort of strange electric island. Completely, that's true. That's what makes the difference. Well, look forward to hearing the the results. Bye. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to Created for Creatives. I'm Ralph Van Dyke, and I was talking to Maureen Kremer, a music supervisor at DDB Paris. The London International Awards will return to Las Vegas in October 2023 for a new round of judging. Created for Creatives is a podcast hosted by me, Ralph Van Dyke, by Chris Smith and Tom Amundsen. The producer is Sarah Knights. The theme music is by Brian Yessian of Yessian Music. The manager is Larissa Levy from the London International Awards. This podcast is an eardrum production.